everyone, I'm Troy Dodds, and welcome to the On The Record podcast presented by The Western Weekender. On this podcast, I'm joined by special guests who all have such great stories to tell about Penrith and the role they've played in our city. They are Penrith stories told by Penrith people. Today, my special guest is Peter Lang. Peter has lived in Penrith for almost half a century and has worked with some of the region's biggest brands. From Panthers to Penrith City Council and even us here at The Western Weekender, Peter's fingerprints are all over some of Penrith's largest employers. Peter has an intriguing story to tell, and I hope you enjoy our chat. Peter, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Dodsey, and thanks for revealing how old I am, you bugger. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking of uh, talking of that, tell us, um, as we always ask at the start of the podcast, where were you born and where did you grow up? Well, believe it or not, I was born in Nottingham in England, in the good old UK, uh, to Polish parents uh, who were living there at the time. My sister was born four and a half years before me. We just kept getting uh, ill all the time, sick, colds, flu, asthma, because of the, you know, mainly the, the cold and damp conditions over there. So mum and dad decided to, to pack up, leave all their family and come to Australia in about, I think it was about 1972, late 1972. Uh, and it wasn't long before we arrived in Penrith. So we decided to move to Penrith because the housing back in 1973 was a lot more affordable. And mum and dad thought this was a good place to start. Like a small developing little community. Didn't have much back in 1973, but uh, pretty much it's been home since then for all of us. And uh, of course, you went to school at uh, both Kingswood Public and Kingswood High School? Yeah, look, I think I cannot think of anywhere where I've received any sort of teaching or training or working that hasn't been in Penrith. Uh, maybe a bit of work experience in the city once or twice, but I, I went to Kingswood High School, public school, should I say, first up, uh, followed that up with Kingswood High School uh, in 82, and then in 89, I went to the University of Western Sydney. So pretty much uh, all of my education was in the local area and didn't have to go very far to, to get it as well. Now, of course, you um, you're finishing high school, I guess, in the in the late eighties. Would that be about right? Yeah, mid mid eighties. Oh yeah. my goodness, I feel even older. <laughs> oh, hang on, no, no. I suppose you're right. Eighty seven. All right. High uh, in eighty seven. What's yeah, Penrith? So that's late. What's Penrith like in that late eighties, oh, early nineties kind of very, uh, period? Very small. I mean, you know, there wasn't there was only one lane each way uh, down Mulgoa Road, and I think there was only one or maybe possibly two lanes on the northern road uh glenmore park wasn't around south penrith where i grew up with my parents it was was just starting up uh, southlands down the road was was about to be built so i mean there's all those things that started to come up around in the 80s and you'd notice driving up and down mogul road more and more businesses starting to to open on either side and then before you knew it, the road work started to come. And, and I, I just remember, you know, just from getting here in 73, I thought in 1988, 89, that, that I was in the metropolis because of the big changes, mm. even in, during that small time. But of course, you look back now and there's, it's chalk and cheese, you mm. know, the last 25 years or so. Now, your media career begins in, in 1991, but was media something that you were always interested in following or, or did that come about uh, by accident? No, look, I love the media. I used to uh, love being on, pretend that I was on radio and I'd grab my little tape recorder with those little cassettes in there and I'd record, uh, you know, programs with friends and music. And when I was at school, I used to pretend that I was a newsreader. And so I always had a very huge, massive interest in media. Obviously not what it is today because there was no internet, there was no Facebook, no social media, nothing. But even just the TV, radio, I think I was more drawn to radio than anything else, though, because I, I do have a head for radio, uh, not not for TV. And I think I realised that pretty early on in life. <laughs> 
The Weekender launches in 1991 here in Penrith, and um, and you become involved in that same year, uh, doing some work experience. So tell us about um, the Weekender in those very early days. Well, it was yeah, it was just started. It just started up up against the Star and the the Penrith Press, which were well established by that stage. And I remember thinking, well, I'm not going to get much luck there. And I think I even actually sent some resumes to them um, when I was my last year at uni, which was 91. Uh, never really heard back from them. They offered to do, you know, a few days here and there of work experience. But the weekend just sort of like opened their arms to me and sort of said, yeah, we want to, you know, we're happy to have you here doing a lot of things. You can write stories, you can edit things, you can, uh, you know, cut things down, you can do all those sort of things. And I thought, well, that's far more than I'll ever get at the uh, at one of the two majors. So basically, I remember going into the original location. Greg Evans was um, was starting it all up, uh, and he ran it through the offices where he was still selling his Apple computers. So there was like one side, there was the Apple computers, and next the other side was the Weekender staff. It was small, and we were basically doing things like, oh, this is how this is how how long ago it was. We would be cut and pasting stories onto a page which would then be literally cutting and pasting literally and (laughs) and figuratively cutting and pasting stories and ads onto a page which would then be sent through to rural press or whoever it was back then that was doing it they'd obviously take a photo of it take the shot and off off they went so that that sort of technology that that went on for years but I, i just remember sitting there thinking this is, I've hit the big time here. You know, we, I was working we, for free and... Yeah, which, by the way, is where the term cut and paste comes from, from the uh, traditional <laughs> traditional printing uh, methods. Now, where was this office? This was, where was this one? This one was where the guitar shop used to be in, just across the road from the RSL. Okay, That yep, was the original yep, yep. office. So, I, I, I can't, what, what street's that in? We're looking at the RSL. So I've only lived here yeah, for 50 Ca- years. Yeah, that's Castle Ray Street, so... That's yeah, right, that's yeah. First office. So, that's where it was originally. Uh, it moved about a little bit here and there. So over the next couple of years, they moved. But I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, so I better let you ask a few questions. Yeah, well, 1992, uh, Lyndall Edwards, of course, is the, the inaugural editor of The Weekender for those last, first couple of years. Um, and The Weekender has only had um, three editors in its um, in its history. Um, she offers you a, a gig in late 1992. First paid gig as a journalist, would that be right? Yes. Yeah, it certainly was. I think it was for about $10 an hour, uh, and I think it was something like 15 to 20 hours a week. Uh, I'd finished uni, uh, obviously, the year before, and just grabbed it with both hands, because let, let's just say um, I wasn't in high demand. Uh, you know, you knock on a lot of doors, and, and all they want is experience, and of course, first year out of uni, I didn't didn't have much, so it was just, I went to uni with Lyndall, and that's how she knew me, and that's how the uh, the first position that I ever got came up. Uh, and I was just tickled pink. And I actually couldn't believe it also because they wanted me to write the rugby league. And I know we'll probably get into this later, but I'm a huge, was and still am a huge Panthers fan. So to get the opportunity to do that was just amazing. But, you know, you also did your advertorials and, and things like that. At that stage, I just didn't care. I just wanted to get in there and start writing, basically. Now, I know that there's a, uh, talking of rugby league, there's a, a story in uh, 1993, I think it is, where you're in, interviewing uh, Gus Gould. Bit of an interesting yep. situation there for you. Yeah, 
So we, we were playing a trial there against Parramatta in 1993, and I, I, I got a lift of one of the assistant coaches for, um, I think it was under 21s, they were calling it back then, and I got in there and I watched the match. We actually won it. I remember we were down 12-0. Paul Dunn was playing for Parramatta at the time, and um, we came on with a virtually reserved grade team, but in the end they won it, and I got to go into the sheds after the match, and I'm standing there, and I, I said to Phil Gould, do you mind having a quick chat with me? And he said, no, no, no worries whatsoever. So I did about a oh, 15-minute chat about the, the year ahead, the game, everything. I was so proud of myself. I thought, I'm just going to play this to everyone and say, look, I interviewed Phil Gould. And I got back in the car to check the, you know, to make sure it was all good. Nothing. <laughs> the batteries had fallen out the back of the, uh, of the tape machine. So not only did I not have uh, Phil Gould on tape, which I was wanting to show off to everybody, I then had to sit there and feverishly in the car write everything that I remembered him saying just to make sure that, you know, when I wrote the story up, I accurately quoted him. Pete, so every journo has been there, Pete, every <laughs> ju- in one way or another. Uh, so that was my first experience interviewing a coach. Let me tell you this much, though, Dodsey, I never, ever ran out of batteries or another interview ever again. I got every <laughs> single one after that. Uh, 1993, there's a, a change at the weekend. Bernard Bratusa becomes the editor. He um, he becomes the editor then and, and stays for the next 15 or 16 years. What was working with Bernard like in uh, in those days? We both worked under under Bernard's uh, editorship. Yeah, well, Bernard back then had come from the bank. And I think originally, from memory, he was uh, doing some finance uh, work for um for Greg, this is just going back a long time, so I apologise if I get it wrong. Uh, the next thing we know that he's he's taken over and he's he's the new editor. And I remember he was very fair. He was you know always polite and nice to me, and he was demanding. I'll give him that. Like he always, when he wanted something, he had to do it. But you know, if you did it and you did it well, then you don't you never had an issue with him. Um, but I remember more than that, thinking to myself. There was always this dark cloud hanging over the weekender at the time, you know, uh, the advertising, will we get enough, will it keep going, all those sort of things were still swirling around back back then a little bit because the, the star and the press were, were going strong at that stage. Uh, and that's why uh, the next part of my career happened, which I ended up leaving the weekender at the end of 93. I didn't think it was secure enough. I was worried that they closed down, so I went and got a job out at uh, Rural Press, which is Hawkesbury Gazette, mm. back in '94. And I, I remember leaving with a lot of regret and a lot of sadness. You know, I remember saying to uh, Greg Evans at the time, I said, "Oh, look, I'm really sorry. I just there's an opportunity there for me, and it's full time because I was only working part time." And I just felt sad. And I remember Bernard shaking his head when I left, and he just said something on the lines of, "You're making a mistake." And I just said, oh, I hope not. And I walked out and I felt really bad. Um, so then I lasted about three months at the Hawkesbury Gazette. Hated it. More so because that wasn't the place where my heart was mm. in Hawkesbury. And doing stories about people in the area and, uh, you know, the just the constant running around. And, and I just didn't, I felt like a stranger there. And I just didn't like it. It wasn't Penrith. It wasn't my home. I wrote to the best of my ability, but I didn't care. And so in the end, I left without another job to go to at that stage. But of course, you returned to uh, the Western Weekender, and that's where uh, Lang on League is born. Now, uh, we, we still run Lang on League today um, in, the, in the Western Weekender, but tell us how that was born and also how you ended up back here because uh, Bernard's shaking those head, that head. I guess yeah. he, was, uh, he was proven right. Yeah, he was. I, I remember I didn't even tell him 
that I was back for about six weeks, I think it was, a couple of months I remember being, and then I gave him a call and just said to him, look, if anything pops up, I'm back. And he, I remember him saying something like, oh, I told you you'd be back, but he goes, look, I've got nothing for you at the moment. And uh, he said, if anything pops up, I'll let you know. About a week or two later, wasn't any more than that, he gives me a call and says, let's go and have a chat. Um, and so, you know, without going on too long, we have a chat. He, he, he brought me back into the fold and welcomed me back in again. Uh, and I remember saying to him uh, about the league, because at the time he was writing a bit of it himself, and I said to him, hey, I've got one for you. What about Lang on League? And and I laughed, because at the time there was a lot of journos getting their faces and pictures yeah. and, in the paper. And he said, not in my lifetime. <laughs> and and that was it. And I just never mentioned it. Well, when the footy season began back up again, uh, a few months later, he said, I'm giving you Lang on League, and we'll get a photo. So make sure you... You dress up that ugly mug of yours and look good in it. So there was about 400 pictures taken. We found one that made me look too hideous <laughs> and scare the children. And that's that's how it was born back in, yeah, 93, 93, 94, late 93, 94 is when it sort of started. Now, I'm interested in um, in the mid-90s, you, uh, you you leave the weekender and you, you work for Panthers magazine. Now, if you weren't around Penrith during this sort of late 90s, early 2000s, like Panthers magazine uh, during the 90s was was a massive magazine. I've still got a few of them uh, sitting in my, my drawer um, here at the Weekender offices. And it was it was about 100 pages. It was a massive magazine. It was it was not just Panthers-focused. It was, you know, there was had its own advertising team selling ads and it, um, it had everything going on in Penrith, some news and whatnot, but obviously very, very slated back towards uh, Panthers. But what tell us about that experience and what working there was like. So yeah, Jackie Tyers at the time was the uh, editor of the of the magazine. I, I probably should have added that while I was working at the Weekender, I also wrote the Rugby League for for the magazine for a couple of years as well, mm. which was about four or five stories a a, a month, um, which Bernard was happy with and everyone was fine with it. And through that, I got a call from Jackie saying, "Look, I'm you know, I've just going to maternity leave. I how would you like to take over for a year? Well, I'll do X and you can do all the stories and everything. And and basically I went and saw Bernard and then he he basically said, Yeah, that's a good opportunity. Um, go ahead and do it. And and I did. So basically I went to the to Panthers and from about ninety six till you know only about a year, year and a half later, things changed again in ninety seven. But I'll let you sort of um, you know flesh that one out but you're right the panthers magazine back then was about 120 odd pages uh, 100 minimum in the mid mid sort of 90s it was really in its heyday uh, so yeah that was a that was also a big experience to to try and put that together as well every month and of course you, you stay working at panthers as you mentioned a bit of a changed role now anyone who's worked with panthers over the years in the media would know the name rob weaver uh, I think Rob's retired now. Uh, he he was um, the Panthers media manager for a long period of time. Um, I, I always remember there was always a bit of fear in in calling Rob the the traditional like Rob Weaver Panthers as he uh, as he answered the uh, <laughs> that voice answered the phone. Um, now you you started working for him in the in the media team there at Panthers. This is during an interesting period because rugby league had already I guess taken giant steps to being professional, but the Super League war obviously not only tears the game apart, but changes the game completely as far as what's expected from media and, and commercial and professionalism as well. And, and you're in the midst of all of that. Yeah, look, the the one thing I remember about all that was that um, there was a period of time there where it, it really did look like um, we would become the Parramatta Panthers. Mm. 
and and I know that there's differing views from various staff that worked there at the time about whether that's a fact or not. But I've I've said I've said this story before in print, um, and also you know in other forums. And all I remember was I was going to um, uh, I think I was talking to the C the CEO of, of Panthers at the time, and I think it might have been Mark Levy. And I said to him, look, you know, like what do I do? Um, I'm hearing rumours of Penrith and Panthers joining up together. Uh, you know, where does that leave me? And he said, I'd start looking for another job. <laughs> and that's when I went, oh, my goodness, this is going to happen. You know, they're going to we're going to join up and we're going to become the Parramatta Panthers. Uh, shortly after after that noise got a bit louder, there was um, a meeting held which had all the members and uh, Ron Mulock came along to, to talk at it. And it was my job to run around with a microphone to anyone who got a question, anyone got a question, so I'd run around and do it. Now, to this day, I still believe that that was the turnaround as to why we didn't become the Parramatta Panthers and decided to go it alone. There was, he spoke so powerfully, so well, so articulated. He had all the facts, he had all the figures, he, he gave everything, I'll never forget it. And when that meeting finished that day, I just knew that we were going to stand alone, no matter what. Now, people will, you know, argue against that, but that's my recollection and memory of it, and it's a very strong one. Now, of course, uh, what's working uh, for Rob and, and the Panthers media team like that, like at the time? Because media, uh, this is this is, you know, internet's arrived, but it's certainly not the uh, the the main media source that it is today. So, what was what was dealing with journo's and handling all that sort of stuff like at the time? Yeah, well, the, as you just said, the, I remember we were one of the first clubs that actually had a forum, and um, you know, <laughs> Pan Panthers then, Interactive. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. And we, and the, I just remember the the website, and Rob was, and deservedly so, proud of himself because he managed to put things up, you know, every few days, and it was just like, uh, just like this 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 beast that continued to grow and grow. Now I do remember that Super League came along in '97, as we all know. And they had a ton of money. So they threw a lot of money at, at us there at Panthers as well. So we put out, a, a you know, like glossy publications. We put out 20-page lift-outs. Um, and even though we didn't have what we have now with social media, there was still more work than Rob could handle on his own. So he, for want of a better word, seconded me uh, to become his full-time assistant uh, back then. And, you know, that, that, that gave me the opportunity to write for the Super League magazine and, um, you know, do interviews, do things on the screen, do all sorts of different uh, things through that year because Super League just had this money that, that they were just, you know, throwing out to try and win the, the public over. Mm. So I do remember the big opening day. We had Belinda Carlisle there. Um, you know, singing at the, uh, I think the first game we played was against Perth, or I think they were called the Perth Reds. They went to Western Reds back then, yeah. and basically, um, yeah, it was just a feeling of, of of grandeur, and you just knew that all bases were covered because there was plenty of money to to cover it. Mm, absolutely, and of course, you go back to the you know the the NRL forms in in nineteen ninety eight. You stay around, of course, as uh, at Panthers, but then you become the editor of Panthers magazine. So that must have been a a big moment for you because Panthers Magazine at this point is, is still going strong, still got the backing of the club and um, and you're put in charge. Yeah, well, basically what happened was that it, it, with the with us going back to the ARL, um, so a lot of the funding was, was obviously reduced. Um, you know, things were starting to get back, back to what they were and there were times where 
we all worried how long this assistant position would last for. Um, I actually still got to do it for a couple of more years, uh, 98, 99. Uh, that was when I got to travel with the team. We got to go, got to go to Auckland, Adelaide, Townsville, all these sort of places. I'll always remember those couple of years. But in, in 99, they they kind of, I was a bit worried again, um, how long that would last. I just bought a property, a house. And uh, the safer bet uh, when they approached me was to do the Panthers magazine, to be the editor of Panthers magazine. I could still write the football. I could still help on out on game day because they're the things I loved and I didn't want to let go of. Uh, and they gave me permission to do all that. And then, yep, yours truly started to do the editor of, of Panthers magazine back then, 90, yeah, 99, sort of, till to about 2002. It was an interesting three years. I'll, I'll tell you that much, Dodsey. <laughs> Yeah, well, really of course, this is this is around the time that there's a lot of drama at the club. We know that Roy Simmons gets sacked as coach, and um, you and Roger Cowan had a bit of an issue. Now, uh, you weren't the first person to have an issue with with Roger Cowan. Let me assure you <laughs> of, of that. But I know that there was a you know a, a bit of a drama around uh, Royce and Royce's sacking and Panthers magazine at the time. Yeah, so I um, I wrote a. a cover story and a, a two-page story in the inside uh, about how Royce was, you know, what he's going to do in 2002, um, you know, finishing this season. I think we, we won the spoon that year yeah. in 2001. And uh, there was there was no filtering then. I mean, I just made the decisions and said, yeah, let's do it. We'll, we, did it we did it all. Next thing I know, uh, Roger wants to have a chat to me. So I go into his office and he just says to me, look, you know, that's, you should have you know, run that by someone. Um, because that might not be the case, you know, about about Royce. And at that stage, he was still, you know, the coach. Mm. But within about a week of that, that's when, you know, he was let go. And, of course, they then hired John Lang. And it sort of made them look a bit silly. Well, I made them look silly, I suppose, because a month earlier, I'm saying he's going to be around for 2022. Oh, not 2022. Uh, 2002, <laughs> uh, you know, explaining in detail what his plans were and next minute he's gone. So, I'll, yeah, that was a bit of an embarrassing for me and another lesson learned, I suppose, in um, in the world of publishing that you can't take it back, now, unlike uh, now. With John Lang comes Shane Richardson, of course, um, as, the, as the new um, man in charge of the, uh, the footy operations at Panthers. Now, I would argue, just from my dealings with them, that um, very... Two very separate identities there in in terms of how they operate. Um, how, how was working with Shane Richardson? The first meeting I had with him was outstanding. I thought, what a lovely bloke. He was chirpy. He was cheerful. He was, you know, he just got his feet under the desk. Um, of course, John Lang came along as well, support staff, everything. I thought this is going to be great. This is going to be great dealing with him because I must admit, Mark Levy was great to deal with uh, all those years that he was there as well. And so I thought this is just going to be wonderful. It's just one nice CEO to another. Well, that didn't last long. <laughs> I had to write a, um, uh, you know, we're in the magazines, but previews we had to write uh, mm. from the coach's perspective, a, a, a note, note from the CEO. And, of course, as I don't know if it still happens, but back then you'd, you'd interview them and you'd write it for them and then they'd approve it and off it went. So I did the interview. It was fine. He was happy. Uh, I sent him a draft of it. Well, did I cop it? Get a phone call. Peter, this is absolute rubbish. Uh, what do you mean? Oh, this I've never been so terribly misquoted and in my whole life, and I've been around for a long time, he said, this is absolute garbage. And he went off for about oh, at least a minute, you know, about how he didn't really say that, he didn't really mean that. It's you know, And I said to him, well, look, feel free to, you know, 
run your eye over it and change whatever you like. Oh, I will, bang, and he hung up on me. So that was my uh, introduction <laughs> or second introduction to him. So after that, needless to say, we were all walking on eggshells. Rob Weaver got yelled at. The photographer who took the pictures back then, uh, he, he, he got yelled at. And it was just a, yeah, just a feeling of, of whenever you went sort of near him or around him, you didn't know whether you'd get Jekyll or Hyde. Mm. And um, I just remember being always frightened <laughs> around him uh, at the time. So, yeah, it was, it was, um, it wasn't a fun time if you went with dealing with him anyway. For me anyway, I don't know about everybody else, but for me anyway, that wasn't the most pleasant experience. Now, Pete, I've got to bring this up too, because this, is, this happens around this time. There, there has been, over the years, uh, a few Western Weekender uh, romances that have, that have emerged. Not all of them have worked out all that, uh, that well. And I know that in that period as well, um, your first marriage ends. So I'm guessing you're dealing with um, some, some tough personal times, as well as those issues at work with, with the likes of, uh, of Shane. Yeah, so so basically, yeah, what happened is, um, uh, God love him, Bernard actually uh, gave my first uh, wife uh, the opportunity to work there. He created a position for her back in, I think it was 99, in the 99, 2000, um, to, to start as a journalist there, uh, to which I'll always, you know, be grateful, though, looking in hindsight, I it would have been better had he not done it. <laughs> but back then, it seemed like the, the right thing to do. Yeah, so basically, yeah, what happened then was, uh, again, I was still married at the time, but the, the, the magazine started to just peter off a little bit. You know, advertising was getting harder to get. Uh, the pages were shrinking. We were going from 100 pages, we were down to like 48, sometimes even 32, you know. So it was time again to look for another position because, like, at that stage, I was still married and mm. in 2002 still things were going okay and I thought I've got to get some security so then I went for a job at Penrith City Council as a marketing tourism officer yep and uh, basically uh, left left Panthers uh, at 2002 but again uh, got to stay on for the next 10 years and just help out on game day uh, as as, uh, as the assistant to Rob Weaver first mm. and then Andrew Farrell later uh, but that's how I sort of why I took the job at Penrith City Council, same reason why I guess I left the weekend or all those years prior, just for a bit more job security. Uh, and then basically, yeah, 2003, it comes and um, the marriage uh, ends and uh, my wife back then leaves, obviously, the weekender, and basically I'm at council. Yeah, so a pretty significant change in, uh, Ooh, in, in yeah. your life around yeah. that period, yeah. Um, now... Council has been now part of your life then for, for something like 20 years. Um, in fact, it'll be 20 years this year. Um, that, that original job is in marketing and tourism. This is around a time that council is very, very strong in, in this. Um, they had the, the centre there in the, the car park at Panthers uh, yep. and, and all of that. So uh, it was an interesting time too because the Olympics had just happened a couple of years earlier. Penrith had, had very much on the map around that time. Yeah, a lot was growing there. That was when we even had um, good old Krispy Kreme, and we were the only, uh, you know, think city back then that had it. So we would, we would get people travelling, you know, up to an hour, uh, mm. even longer, to to stand in the long queue to get it. Uh, and I just remember a lot of money being uh, poured into resources to promote Penrith as a tourism place. You know, as a place to come along, go on the Nepean Bell. Uh, you know, the the Olympics had given us some enormous exposure, and they wanted to piggyback onto that as well by selling other. Uh, other sites at, at Penrith at the time. And I think that's probably when 
I remember, you know, the Mulgoa Road expanding. I remember, you know, just more trees and more everything around the area just improved. Uh, of course, we had Glenmore Park that was filling out uh, at the time. The plaza was going through renovations. Everything. So I just think, remember to myself thinking, we are now becoming a, a small city. Not, not just a little country town. And everyone knew it, and I think the Olympics played a really huge role in that happening. It just brought in all that infrastructure, you know, the Whitewater Stadium, the the, the Olympic, um, the, the regatta centre, um, you know, all those things then post-Olympics were, were attractions that we could, mm. we could sell to people, uh, encourage them to come down. The Pean River was also one of the big things that we, we promoted at the time uh, and so yeah there was plenty plenty to do and it just kept each year that I was there in the in the in that role more and more things were being done and more and more you know money was being put into promoting Penrith as a tourism destination how different for you was it going from working for for Panthers to council because it's a it's it can be a tough transition for people to go to that kind of government world that is that is just a, a bit different in terms of how it operates yeah, and I, I remember you were, I wasn't in charge for a start, whereas, you know, at, the, at Panthers, I was pretty much running the show. So it was a new job uh, at the same time. I, I'd done a lot of, a bit of marketing here and there, but never full time. So the good thing was I had a very, um, very, very good uh, supervisor, Paul Page, who unfortunately passed away just, just over a year ago, sadly. Um, so that's something that... Um, I remained friends with him uh, even after he left uh, mm. Penrith City Council. I just remember making a lot of friends and still even to this day, uh, you, you keep in touch with people uh, that you meet along the way and in your work. They become like your family, you know, because you see them seven or eight hours a day. So it's just natural that they become really important in your life. So pretty much I have enjoyed without sounding like I'm doing a big commercial I've enjoyed my 20 years at Panth at Panthers at at Penrith City Council and look you get a lot of freedom as well uh, depending on which department I guess you work for and it's been a big part of my life uh, I, I remember saying to people I started there now 20 years later I've got a different wife two kids <laughs> um, you know a different house everything so you your life moves on and you just hope that you can find a place like like i have with council that you can move along with it now not that every not that every year has been wonderful but <laughs> most have importantly rugby league still played a big part of your life during those early 2000s when you went to council because you you sort of transitioned back into the weekender as well around that time yeah, well, I, I, I kept riding the, all the football for um, for for weekender for many years, uh, even after I'd left. Uh, for, even when my ex-wife was there, I, I still wrote uh, football for them then and continued to do so for, for many years after. I think it was a, a young bloke called Troy Dodds who might have uh, come along and taken my gig at the <laughs> weekender, I think, um, because, yeah, there was a time, I, remember, I can't remember the exact details, but there was a, there was a time then where, uh, you know, obviously I stopped writing stories for the rugby league stories for the for the weekender and i think that's when you came along yeah potentially potentially around that around that period but of course uh then uh things things go a bit awry for the weekender and we've talked about that in previous podcasts and um i end up at kick fm and as a result 
Uh, so do you, because we talked for a couple of years on um, on the, about the footy and also at Vintage FM. I know we had the mixed grill yeah, uh, yeah, for, for a while there on a Sunday night, which is... Um, uh, the thing I remember greatly about the mixed grill is that um, that my co-host, uh, our co-host Michael Todd and I, had uh, have a big afternoon, <laughs> normally watching a couple of games <laughs> of footy with a few beverages, and we'd rock up to yeah, do the show, yeah. and you'd rock up with all your notes, very serious, and uh, it was it was a good time. Oh, look, all I can say is working with you guys was a barrel of fun. Working with you was awesome. I think we had a connection from the very first time we spoke, and I actually remember the first time you interviewed me. I was actually at my second and current wife, Sonia's place uh, at the time, which was with the parents and still we hadn't got married. So I'd visit her and I remember doing the interviews from her, from her bedroom. She'd leave and you and I'd be talking about the <laughs> reserve grade and this and that. And, and yeah, you and I bonded as well. And I'd have to say that the, uh, the kick FM days and, and then even the vintage days with you were a lot of fun. Um, you know, just to talk about football and, and various things was just awesome. So I really do miss those days, to be honest with you. I wish we could bring it back. We should bring it back as a podcast, <laughs> you and I, and, and even Nathan, my nephew, who's now at the Weekender as well, and, you know, get it going again. And nothing, nothing better than talking footy with your mates and actually having people listen to it, which no, is even, even better. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned Sonia there, um, your, uh, your current wife, of course. T- tell us about how you met Sonia. Yeah, so Sonia and I met, believe it or not, dun, 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 I think it was through RSVP, a website. Yes. Um, yeah, so we, success, you know, people go on about, you know, I don't, Tinder wasn't around back then. Uh, so it was pretty much straightforward and, and you know, she saw a picture and liked that I liked John Farnham, I think it was, and one of her friends said, yeah, give this, this goose a, a go. And um, pretty much uh, we met in end of 2006 um, she's definitely the love of my life. I pretty much knew it pretty much straight away, I think. You just feel it in your heart and you just feel everything's right. Uh, so we got we got married in 2008, been together, still are together, have two beautiful daughters ever since. And, uh, yeah, she's always been a great support for me and still is to this day. Um, probably my I'm her biggest fan and um, I know that uh, she, she never let, lets me down. You know, I just... There's been some tough times, and and she's seen me through them. I remember back then when you were, you know, just starting to see Sonia, and you'd come in here in the studio. Uh, one thing that was interesting is that you you weren't really that keen to talk about the fact that you met online because in those days there was still the yeah, raised yeah. eyebrows about meeting online. These days it's probably the opposite; more people would meet yeah. online than, than you, anywhere else. You wear it with a badge of honour these days, but but back then, um, you know, I. I I kind of learned my lesson because I went out with a lot of um, a lot of dates through uh, those meeting sites, you know, mm. and anyone that knew me knew that I wasn't really big on going out to clubs or pubs. So I'm pretty sure most people worked it out anyway. Um, so I started to be truthful around that time and just, just said it without hiding it, you know. Uh, but now it's like you just said, if you don't meet on Tinder or something, well, then there's something wrong with you. Whereas back then there was something wrong with you if you were on a website. <laughs> no, exactly but right. Yeah. This is a great story. Like I said, four, 13 years, 14 years, marriage, two beautiful children, eight and six, the loves of my life as well. So I couldn't be happier. Like, I'm glad I went on RSVP. You mentioned some tough times there. And um, when we spoke before doing the podcast about whether we'd mention this, and we both agreed that we uh, we probably should because it's a, it's had an impact on your life. Um, and that is uh, a, a battle you had with depression uh, more than 10 years ago now. Um, can you tell us? about that and also about accepting that you were in that battle yeah sure so just like it was it was uh taboo to 
to go on a dating website and meet your partner through there. Uh, same thing back then in 2010. Um, depression, seeing a psychiatrist or, or anything like that, there was still a lot of stigma attached to it. Um, you know, th so I didn't even tell a lot of people at work. Um, I told you, I remember I had a, a couple of weeks off, I think it was from writing the column. Um, and I was writing for you guys at that time, the, the match preview, and I, I just didn't want to do it. I uh, Depression is one step further than being sad. Uh, it's just awful. Um, it, it was a really tough period of my life, but I was actually told the one thing to do while I was recovering um, was to continue to write the column, you know, to, to, to not just phase out of the world, but to keep to keep writing. Uh, and they were probably, until things improved, I think they were probably about half a dozen or, or so of the toughest columns I've ever had to write um, because it just, depression kind of sucks the life out of you. Mm. You know, there's things don't, things that make you happy before that, don't make you happy anymore. Uh, you know, it's really different for everyone. Um, so I went on uh, medication as well. Um, a lot of lot of um, support from psychiatrists and, and counsellors, and and the medication played its part as well. And you slowly, you know, you dig your way out of it, and you never forget it though. So even 12 years later now, uh, you know, parts of the things you went through back then are still still with you, and you never forget it. And I think you always well, I are afraid of it ever coming back again. Um, and, and it must be difficult I, to accept that happened in, in, in the first place in some ways because on, yeah. pa on paper, you're only a couple of years married, um, yep. you know, kids are on the horizon, you've got a great yep. job that you've been in for, for a decade. And so a lot of people, I, I guess, probably can't accept and understand, well, how could you have depression? And that's, that's one of the big stumbling blocks we have to get over as a society in, in accepting that, that just because something looks like it does on paper or from the outside, it's it's not necessarily what's happening inside. And I think the other thing is that I'm um, I this is the first time I've publicly actually talked about it. Um, you know, and I have my issues still with anxiety and everything now. But it, you know, you work your way through it. You you find ways to deal with it. You go and see, you talk to counsellors, things like that. And I always say to people now, and I'm just I guess that's why I'm telling you the story and everybody now that. Um, you can act as happy as you like on the outside, um, but on the inside you can be really, you know, quite, quite depressed and quite awful and quite flat. And I say to everyone, get help. You know, if if you can get through it with counselling, which some people can, that's great. If you can't, don't be afraid of the medication. Uh, there's so many different ones you can you can take these days that there is one for you. Like not everyone gets it right the first time, but. I, like, you know, you were around with me at the time, you slowly dig your way out of it and you just keep going and supported my family, supported people like yourself, my nephew, my mum, dad, everyone. I just think that a lot of people were supporting me back then and they weren't, they didn't even know what they were supporting me for because I didn't tell a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, so I just say, don't be ashamed of it. I really think it's come a long way in the last 12 years, all the rugby league players. Um, you know, that have had it, that have battled it, everything. It's come such a long way. And the reason why I know it has is because I wouldn't be talking to you about it now if it hadn't been, if, now, it, hasn't, if it hadn't have come this far. Post that, you uh, you do take a bit of a break from writing about footy and, and probably for the first time in, in many, many years, you're not really involved apart from uh, going to the games and enjoying the games. But in, in 2019, um, you do return. Lang on League makes its comeback to uh, <laughs> to the Western Weekender and uh, everything that's old is new again. 
Well, yeah, I took eight years off uh, after the after that year. I finished with you in 2010. Um, you know, I think I just sort of channeled my energies into just getting better and 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 having having children was a big goal uh, that was put back a couple of years. But then, of course, you know, you, you start to feel better and you go there. And I've got two beautiful children during that time. And I always loved rugby league. And you know that I was um, never I kept going to games and everything. I just lost my uh, love of writing about it. Uh, and then one day in 2018, 2019, I just knew with, with social media and everything else, I, I just felt like it was time to get back to it. Uh, so I gave you a call, I remember, uh, 2000 and early 2019, and luckily you took me back. Um, we did some, did some stuff on the website for a while, and then the following year in 2020, you brought back Lang on League, and uh, can I tell you, it... it I really got to thank you for having a, you know, taking a chance on me again. You're out of something for eight years. Whatever Peter Lang meant eight years earlier meant nothing now. Uh, a lot of people had moved on. A lot of new people had come on board. Uh, and I've just found that uh, the last three years has been probably some of the happiest years of my life with uh, writing the column. And I really look forward to it and enjoy it. And now with social media, uh, finally, after four years, people are uh, starting to take me seriously again. Uh, it certainly took a long time, and if I had my time again, I probably wouldn't have taken that eight years out. But you know, can't go back in time now. No, no, that's but that's, I, that's I, true. I just, and importantly, um, as well, um, I guess you've been able to to write the column during a period of success for the Panthers, which is good because most yes. of you, the vast majority of your career has, has not yes. uh, had that attached to it. Well, you and I had a lot of twos and fro's. We were like the Paul Kent and um, Braith and Astor of the <laughs> of the world back then, because we were getting thrashed a lot, weren't we, in two thousand seven mm. and two thousand and eight? Uh, and now, believe it or not, um, I was criticised once or twice for being too harsh for them on them, uh, not by you, but by others. And now I'm getting criticised on social media for being too nice <laughs> about it. And I think, well, what do you want? Like we yeah. won a premiership, thirteen out of fourteen games we've won. N- best defensive side, best attacking side. There's not too much to complain about at the moment. So, you know, it's it's great. I write it with a smile on my face every week. And uh, I just hope that this wonderful period that we're going through will continue for a lot longer. Absolutely. Well, as it stands, you're, of course, uh, still writing Lang on League and still working at Council. Um, I am. Customer Experience Officer. Yep. Now, that says to me, Pete, that if... Someone's got a problem. They ring Peter Lang. That's basically the uh, the story. I'm guessing. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I, four years ago, um, I took a little deviation uh, from the job I was doing before, which was in the communications department. Um, things things you know needed. I need to change. Then I need to freshen up a little bit. Do something different. Um, it was so then this opportunity came up, and I must admit I never would have thought that that I would in, enjoy it as much as I have. I absolutely love it. Um, I love helping people out. Um, you know everything like you said. I've had, I've spoken to James Tamo on the phone. Barry Walker is rung up. I've had Anthony Schwerer bring up all these, all these former players who <laughs> I then you know when I hear their name and everything I go, oh I've got to tell you I love you guys. You go and you know it's, you would never think that, but the um, yeah, it's it's a great job. I love helping people, and and I guess that's what I do, you know, every day uh, when when you ring up, uh, when people ring up for anything, whether it be rates, whether it be, um, you know, uh, the roads, the whatever the case may be. I just love doing it. I'm, I'm going to ring you up and talk to you about a couple of issues I've got. At, uh, <laughs> yeah, please do. Bringelly Road at the moment. <laughs> let me tell you. Um, all right, uh, Pete. A couple of last questions. Number one, you have always 
you got you mentioned earlier your education in Penrith, your your work has been in Penrith. Has there ever been a time that you wanted to leave Penrith? Because a lot of people would say, oh, you know, you got to you got to get out, you got to go somewhere new. Um, I think these days that's less and less because I think people have seen Penrith grow as a city. But you know, particularly during your time, even as a you know, once you got out of uni and whatnot, I imagine that a lot of your friends and and whatnot were were spreading their wings out of Penrith. What? Why do you think you've stayed and um, do you think you'll ever leave? No, I actually don't think I'll ever leave. Uh, I think I'll probably be buried here. Um, I just love the place. It's it's part of my, like, they use a lot of this in, in the rugby league now. It's part of my DNA. You know, I've had um, my two beautiful daughters were born in, in the PN uh, hospital, one in the PN, nine in the PN private. Um, you know, they, they are... Penrith through and through. I'm so glad that my wife, Sonia, um, you know, sort of made the decision all those years ago to, to stay in Penrith with me. And, and she was more than supportive of that. Uh, made me buy another house, by the way, and, and a big, <laughs> big enough one that we could have children in, which is just wonderful. Because for the first few years, this house was way too big for us. Uh, now, with two little girls, it's it's amazing how, how full it feels, you know. Uh, it's it's it, If anything, you need more space. And I know you've got one little girl yourself yeah. uh, if you ever add any more then you'll find the space shrinking more <laughs> and more every room becomes almost like their room you know so i can never see myself uh, leaving penrith ever and i'm so proud of the fact that i say that uh you know of course through the magic of facebook and people that you, you, you used to go to school with uh are spread far and wide you know queensland and 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 victoria and everywhere and that's great everyone finds their own uh, you know, place in the world where they want to stay. Um, this is it for me. I'll, I'll never leave it. And I'm very protective of, of the area and, and of the people in it, uh, the football team, uh, you name it. It's God's country. Forget Manly, Penrith is God's country. <laughs> and last question, Pete, the question we always ask last, and I know it's a, it's a difficult one to answer sometimes, but how would Peter Lang like to be remembered in Penrith? You know what? This will sound really flowery and everything, but just just as a nice guy who wanted to always help um, and sell uh, Penrith, uh, loved Penrith so much that that he became Penrith. Like, it's really hard. I mean, you hear, and I probably can say more personal things like, you know, I want to be the best dad in the world, and, and I do. I want to be the best husband in the world, and and I do, which I'm not, by the way, but, um, you know, I'd love to, to do all that. I just want to be known as someone that when you hear my name, you just think, yeah, you know what? He's he's not a bad bloke, you know? Um, that's pretty – I know that's – I don't know if that sounds superficial or not no, no. Or, or horrible, but, yeah, oh, yeah, I know, Pete. Yeah, yeah, good guy. Uh, I just – that's how I want to be remembered, I guess, as a good guy. Well, and Pete... a Panthers supporter <laughs> till the end. Well, Pete, you've had a long history in Penrith, as I mentioned at the top of the uh... – the uh, podcast in the intro, working at some of the biggest brands in Penrith in terms of Penrith Council, Panthers and the Western Weekender. Uh, plenty still to ride in the story too. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you very much, Dodsey. You're a top bloke and a real good friend. And I value that and uh, always will. We've been friends for about 15 years. Did you know that? Yeah, 15 years, I, yeah, 15 years. is a long time, Pete. And a lot, lot longer to go, Indeed. I hope. Thanks very good much, you, Pete. Mate. There he, is, there he is, Peter Lang, and I hope you enjoyed our chat. If anything in this podcast raised concerns for you, Lifeline 13 11 14. On the Record is produced by The Western Weekender. To hear future episodes, search Western Weekender wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure you hit subscribe. Check out westernweekender.com.au and we'll see you next time.